Thank you to Inez F. Oliveira and the Collective Book Studio for sponsoring today's episode. Do you feel it's hard to express your feelings? How about your child? Children have fewer outlets for expression. Ten-year-old Amelia is no different. She doesn't accept losing her pet chinchilla, Calvin, the only friend with whom she ever vocalised her feelings to. What will she do now that she disagrees with her best friend from school? Amelia learns that expressing yourself can happen in different ways and it all starts with talking it out. Calvin and the Sugar Apples by Inez F. Oliveira is a middle grade fiction story that leads children to figure out the best way to express their emotions, live through pain and learn that sadness is part of living a happy life. Calvin and the Sugar Apples, the perfect summer read, is out on August 22nd from the Collective Book Studio. It depicts a friendship story that reveals beautiful details from the city of Aveiro, the Venice of Portugal. Hello and welcome to the Sunshine House podcast. My name is Zanny Louise. I am a children's book author, writing mentor, and I run courses through my website, zannylouise.com, which are for aspiring and emerging writers. So you might like to come and check those out if you're interested in taking your love of picture books or chapter books to another level. So today I'm chatting with Cassie Polomini, who is a debut picture book author. Her book is called The Garden at the End of the World. It's illustrated by Bryony Stewart and published by UQP. It is so beautiful. It's what an amazing book to have as your very first book. It's so beautiful. Cassie talks really generously about her path to publication, about how she maintains her motivation through those quieter times when you're not hearing back from anyone, and about her inspiration for this very beautiful story. I really enjoyed this conversation recorded on Bunjalung Land. Hi, Cassie. How are you? Hi, Zanny. I'm good. How are you? Very good. Well, welcome to the Sunshine House. This is so lovely to talk about your beautiful new book and your first book, I believe. Is that right? It is my first. It's really lovely to be here chatting with you. Yeah, it's my first book and my first picture book and my first book of any kind. Oh, isn't that amazing? Well, the book is called The Garden at the End of the World, and it's uh, illustrated by Bryony Stewart. My goodness, it is so beautiful. I mean, like if it was anyone's book or the 20th book or the 30th book, they should be so proud of this. But for you, it's your first book. How are you feeling? Yeah, great. I was really lucky, I think, with um, with having UQP and, and Claire Hume, who's a publisher, and Kathy Valance, who was the editor there, to work through it with me. And, and so, so lucky to have Bryony as the illustrator. She's so incredible and so um, versatile. Her picture books are really all very different. And I wasn't sure how she would interpret this story and what she would bring to it. But when I saw it, even from the early sketches, it just really blew me away. And can I ask who the designer is? Do you know? Because that cover is just... Oh, it is Hannah. Yes. I saw her comment on your Instagram and I I wondered if it was Hannah because Hannah's obviously such a talented uh, designer. That cover is just mind-blowing, I think. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just very evocative, I think. It makes makes me anyway want to walk towards the 
the little glowing green door on the mountain and see what's there. Definitely. Um, yeah. and, and it stands out on the shelf. I don't know if you can see it behind me. but um, Oh, yes. Yeah, it really yeah. pops, I think. And it's quite a big book too. So it's it definitely stands out, which you want with a picture book. You know, you don't yeah. want it to disappear in all the other picture books. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Um, so tell us, firstly, a little bit about The Garden at the End of the World, you know, also a beautiful title. Um, it is a nonfiction though, isn't it? In a way, I, I mean, of, it's sort yeah. of a... Um, what do we call it, like a, a creative nonfiction? It's yeah. a bit of a story, a bit of a fairy tale adventure story, but yeah. it is, yeah, it's set in a real place. It's about a real place, the Global Sea Vault in Norway. So Isla and her mum who go on an adventure there are made up, but the vault is very real. Um, and where did you begin with this story? Is this, some, is this a topic you're interested in generally? It is. I think um, I've always had a fascination with Norway. I went there um, as a student when I was at uni. I did a summer semester over there and I've just always been really interested with that part of the world. So the, the Global Seed Vault is in and actually in an island which is north of mainland Norway and there was a, during the, the dark days of um, one of uh, Melbourne's many lockdowns, we're all in lockdowns, but one of our long lockdowns, um, my husband mentioned that there was a, a cooking show that he watches where they were going to the Global Seed Vault. And it wasn't my usual programming, but he knew I'd be into it because it featured Norway. So um, we sat down and watched that show. So it was actually from a very uh, stationary, unadventurous place, sitting on the couch, stuck at home in <laughs> Melbourne. We had, you know, couldn't go further than five kilometres. But seeing this place on the other side of the world, um, and it was the first, I knew about seed banks, and I know we have some here in Australia, but I hadn't really had a picture of the global seed vault and what it meant and where it was and what it looked like there. So that was my introduction to it. And it just uh, lit a spark in my lockdown brain and I, <laughs> I had to go away and find out more. Yeah. And the title says it all really, doesn't it? You know, especially for that lockdown brain, like how yeah. wonderful to know there's a garden on the other side of the world or the end of the world, as you call yeah. it. Describe for us a little bit the writing process. Uh, did you just sit down and write it out? Did it take many edits? What was that like once you had that initial idea? I started, I wasn't even sure that it would be a picture book initially. I did just start writing. I was watching a lot of documentaries and reading about it um, just to try and find out more and to get a, a picture of going inside and of what it looked like there. And it's on, It's in the Arctic. There's um, in a place where there are polar bears, there are reindeer. In winter they have the northern light. So it's a really... Um, a place is very different from what most of us have experienced. So it's very evocative and I wanted to, um, couldn't experience it. So I wanted to sort of feel that as much as possible. So I did um, watch a lot of docos, did my research and started writing. And I wrote, you know, sort of pages of kind of stream of consciousness and, and the characters of Isla and her mother came up quite quickly. And I guess, I mean, I've been reading to my daughter a lot who at the time was two, so I was in a picture book headspace there. I'd been doing courses to kind of narrow my focus on writing into that sort of picture book space. So it just, it came quite a, probably early on in the process that that was the form it was going to take. Mm -hmm. And it did, it did take quite a few edits. I think I wrote and wrote and wrote and then wrote the pitch for it to try and give myself a, a synopsis and an arc for it and rewrote and then even after it was um, taken to acquisitions and then accepted there were some tweaks and rewrites along the way there too. Yeah. Inevitably yeah there's yeah. especially for your first picture book I find there is a lot to learn with that first one when you are working for the first time with a professional editor and Claire yeah. Hume is just such a wonderful first editor to get. You were very lucky. Yes, yeah, I do feel lucky with the whole team. 
Yeah, no, great team. So describe for us that journey to publication because, you know, your first picture book, how wonderful. I know a lot of listeners are on this journey themselves, hoping for that first picture book contract. What did that look like for you? Definitely. I'm I'm in a lot of online communities, including the beautiful Sunshine House. And so we do stay in touch with each other. And the, the journeys are so different. Um, everyone's journey to publication. I love hearing those stories and they're all very different. For me, it was um, so that pitch I was working on, there was a pitching competition that came up just right for kids to an annual pitching competition. So you have to kind of distill your story into 150 words. Um, and think about where it fits in the market and that's the exercise and I find that really helpful just for for the writing process anyway because it kind Mm. of focuses you when you're not sure where the story is going so I did that while I was still writing the story I haven't Mm -hmm. quite finished it yet and sent that off sort of as a to give myself a deadline and 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 push myself along a little bit and and I won the competition which was quite shocking Um, (laughs) expecting that at all but the prizes are um, getting your your work straight through to a publisher, so so getting to skip the slush pile, and you can wow. choose a publisher who best aligned with your story. So I chose UQP and got a uh, detailed assessment from Claire about what um, what work she thought I still needed to do on it. Did that and resubmitted, and um, and that was when I got offered the contract. And as I said, there were still still tweaks along the way, but that was the initial process to getting the contract. Oh, how wonderful! And and what were your feelings or thoughts at that time when you got that letter back from UQP that it had been accepted? Yeah, it was all a bit surreal. I was in the middle of of some particular, you know, domestic drudgery. I think I might have been toilet training or like washing <laughs> the dishes or something and, and just scrolling through and then getting that life-changing email. So it was sort of a real surreal disconnect. So much of this process, the writing, the connecting with other writers and even being offered the contract has been it's all happening, you know, sort of online and you're mm. moving through your kind of ordinary life in parallel. So it's a bit surreal. Yeah, I can imagine. So let's talk about that ordinary life, as you call it, and how you fit in your creative work amongst toilet training and doing the <laughs> dishes. <laughs> what Do you have a particular writing time of the week or how, how do you shape your week around your writing? Because I have um, such a young daughter, so she's at kinder now, which has given me a few more days and I am trying to um, get into a process of assigning some days to my paid work and some days to my creative, you know, my sort of bread and butter work and um, some days to my sort of more creative writing. I don't feel like I'm quite there yet. It's still, things have changed each year, you know, when your kids are little, things change often. Um, When I wrote this book, it was lockdown. There was no childcare, no kinder, no anything. Mm. So I was doing it at night when she was in bed and that was my like quiet time of not being interrupted and getting to focus for a bit. But, you know, it, it is a cliche for, um, and not just parents, just anyone who has a lot going on, I guess, of creating in the cracks. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I I sort of didn't figure out how much sense it made until I had a kid. And a lot of people figure that out earlier. But just making the best of the time you have and how much you can get in that time, done in that time. And also how when you have a short amount of time, you don't faff around so much and you're not <laughs> trying to make it perfect. So you get through a lot more. Yeah, that's been helpful. That's absolutely true. I actually was way more, I mean, it sounds weird, but I was actually much more productive before my kids were at school because of that creating in the crack syndrome and this pressure to 
treasure every single little second you had. And as soon as the kids were asleep at night, I think for me then it was sort of 7.38 and I'd race to my computer and just be burning with ideas and get them down. Whereas now the kids are at school, I drop them off, I get back to my computer, I faff around, I think of all these other things I should be doing. You get to the end of the day, haven't written anything. Yeah, <laughs> I heard you say that and I thought, oh, no, I was thinking it was going to get more and more and more productive. But I think I, that makes sense to me because I think if there's not a sense of urgency, other things get in the way. And you, if you've got six hours, then you take six hours. If you've got half an hour, you, you do what you can in that. That's right. Yeah. Well, look, I think you have to just then come up with a new pressure for yourself you know and you uh some sort of calendar or some sort of way of making it work and you know I do try and structure certain non-creative jobs on certain days or times so to preserve those creative hours so it, it is doable but what I've found work once the kids um, are at school is to actually have weeks days or even months which are just dedicated to that creative time because I find that then I can really sort of um, maintain that momentum I used to get when writing in the cracks yeah you need to get that flow otherwise you're um when you're doing things that are more kind of scientific or I'm a freelance editor so I do stuff that's more about correcting and fixing and, and yeah. it's very different to that creative space and it takes you out of that creative space so yeah if you can um, immerse yourself even if it's I found too if I'm working on something longer having 10 minutes a day rather than a couple yeah. of hours a week that keeps me in touch with it and hopefully you can tap back into that flow a bit quicker. Yeah, I like that idea actually. Uh, that's It's sort of more at your fingertips, isn't it? If, you, mm. if you're doing it daily and 10 minutes a day sounds achievable or, you know, it's it's nice to think you could put aside Sunday for creativity. But I, I actually like that you've reminded me of that, how important it is to keep that creativity at your fingertips. Yeah, just to keep in touch with whatever world you're creating so it feels it's not such a hard to get back into. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, this is your first book. Are you writing other picture books? Have you, uh, you, are you still sort of exploring different worlds? I am. I've written uh, a number of other picture books, none that have contracts yet. <laughs> um, I find uh, picture books are, are really tough, I think. I think yeah. they're um, deceptively simple and they're very competitive too and yeah. there's a lot of people working in the space and a lot of talented people working in the space so it's yeah it's really hard to get pitch books over the line I don't know if this one was a combination of I don't know beginner's luck and and the the concept and the idea just being timely and being something that yeah that others were interested in too but I I don't know the secret yet and I don't know I feel like <laughs> everyone is going to be reinventing you know how you approach it and how you get it over the line I think I did think initially oh you know once you've got a foot in the door then you've got this sort of line to a publisher and you'll you know just have a chat what do you need I can do that but um it's not like that at all so it is it's very much going back to the beginning and I am yeah, I do work on some longer stuff as well so I've tried uh, junior fiction and yeah. um and middle grade as well Oh, wow. Great. And are those sort of works in process? Are you, yeah, just expanding yeah. those skills? So I, I wrote the first in a, a junior fiction series and sort of some outlines for others. Mm -hmm. I did Jen Storer's great course. It was four weeks to a junior mm -hmm. fiction story, which I that was one of the, the first things I did when I was getting back into creative writing after having worked in sort of nonfiction and, and magazines for a long time. And that was that was sort of really helpful. I've I've had some really good feedback on it, and it's you know placed in a few competitions. But mm. it's sort of hard to know: um, is there kind of room for this story, or is it just a bit of encouragement to keep trying? Mm. Um, and the middle grade, which is also set in Norway, um, 
I uh, won an ASA mentorship, which was wow. really great. So I did that last year. I got to work with Christina Schultz developing that. So I had a very rough first draft and polished up the first, I think it was 10 pages to submit for that mentorship. Um, and then we fleshed it out and, and worked on it a lot over the year. And it's now a submittable draft. So I've just started subbing that. Wow, that's exciting. That yeah. sounds really promising. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that um, concept that once you've got that first picture book and you sort of imagine, well, this is it, um, I'm set. Uh, I, that was exactly the same as me. You know, I thought, yep, this is it, great, I'm set. <laughs> sent, I think the second story, well, I sent a bunch of stories and about the eighth story I sent in did get over the line. But after right. that, it was just like a year of silence. But it's, yeah, it's kind of frustrating because you think, oh, but I thought I cracked the code. And But like you say, it is a very competitive market. But I do think it is a lot about right idea, right place, right editor, right time. All of those little stars line up. Um, and when they do, it's magical. But I do think it is worth persevering, you know, for those people who are sort of, why isn't this happening yet? <laughs> I think your story really speaks to that. Yeah, I, it's yeah. A lot of things have to fall into place, don't they, at the same time? And then it's hard to know, okay, which of those stories is it? Just that their time didn't come, or is it that they're not, you know, that they were just practice? So yeah, it's working that out as well. And there's lots of unknown factors as well, because you know, who knows? Maybe that publisher's just published something too similar, or yeah. you know, there's there's inner workings that you're not aware of, and. Also, picture books have such a long lead time. So, you know, you're pitching into, say, a three-year lead time where there might be something similar in that three years. So how are you to know that um, exactly. until perhaps a book come, comes out in the market? So how did you keep yourself buoyed through, you know, various attempts to be published and, you know, send your work out or even now while you're sort of submitting work and waiting for replies? What, what keeps you coming back to the back to the writing desk and, and keep you motivated? I think when I'm working on something that I'm really engaged with, which for last year it was the middle grade novel, it was there. I, I knew that at the end of every session I had, even if it was 10 extra words or if I'd fixed a problem, I was sort of chipping away at it and I liked that feeling. And, you know, being immersed in that world and have been lucky enough to develop it with someone too, so I felt like I was because you don't always know if you're making sort of the right decisions or if you're just going down another kind of garden path. But either way, I think being immersed in that world and really working on it bit by bit, day by day, is probably when I felt the most content because it was something within my control. Yeah. Um, the the next part of the process when you're waiting for other people to uh, get back to you or, you know, do they like it or is it is it good enough, that nobody has any control over that and it can be quite frustrating. Um, so my advice to myself, which I'm finding hard to take right now, is always just just get back to work on the next thing because yep. that's, you know, just keep moving forward. But I'm finding now being in the stage where um, the garden at the end of the world is about to come out and I'm mm -hmm. trying to do the um, the sort of publicity and that that you're kind of asked to do, I'm finding that such a different headspace and I'm finding it really hard to write during that time mm -hmm. even though I know I should be and I know I'd be kind of happier and more content if I was but I'm hoping that will you know that's a phase of the and I'm assured it is a phase of the process <laughs> um I think just always and working on a couple of things so that if you're not feeling it you know on this you you can dip into that but you're always working on something and and not so many things that you're spreading yourself too thin and not finishing anything like if you pick kind of your two passion projects and just 
just alternate between them eventually you'll get to the end of them and yeah mm, I, I like that a lot that that's that space you can control and I often have to remind people or myself um, that, you know, don't forget why you're doing this uh, because I do think that end goal of getting a published book t- sometimes dominates and and it sometimes becomes the only thing rather than just the thing at the end of the line. And, and that whole process between, which is you becoming a better writer, you uh, enjoying that story unraveling and that beautiful creative space that like you say is you know yours to own and 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 be in wherever you want and it is relaxing I find as well um so it's it's great to have that reminder I think Cassie because your experience does uh, mirror a lot of other people's out there so yeah really grateful to you for articulating it so beautifully and in terms of that promotion, promotional month, I'm in that too at the moment and I've not been able to create a single thing. I find it, I can do some other things and create alongside of each other, but this promotional publicity space, no, forget about it. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're two different people and especially, yeah. if I mean, you're, you're very good at having interesting conversations and cultivating community, which, you know, there are different ways, I guess, to, to to promote your work and to get your work out there. And some of them feel really unnatural. And some of mm. them you can tell that they're unnatural. And then there's sort of nicer ways to do it or more organic ways to do it. So, yeah, but if it's not who you are, mm. I do find it. People always uh, often think, uh, surprised when I say this, but I am quite introverted. And I mm. do find it um, takes a huge amount of energy to do that work. And then, you know, you come home and you're kind of depleted and don't have anything to put into your own work. So. It, yeah, it really does. I remember I think it was like 14 or 15, I can't think what the job was, but having to cold call and oh. Oh, and it was the worst thing in the world. And I do feel like that's what publicity feels like sometimes is you're just reaching out to the world, hello, here I am, here's my book, and it, it's, it's a horrible feeling and I, I feel like that too and I might come across quite extroverted as well and I probably am, but I also, it does take a huge toll that um, constantly sort of outward facing, having to sh- share that part of yourself I suppose in that particular way is a lot of pressure I think the best way and conversations like this and having good support networks Mm. as well um I'm in quite a few groups um all online all through you know whatsapp it's all these kind of remote just because of where I am in life at the moment I guess there's always time to check in with people online but less time unfortunately to kind of catch up and have those conversations but one group I joined this year um is a group of debut authors who all have books coming out this year very different authors real mix um a few kid lit but a real uh, cross-section but the thing that we I guess all have in common is that sort of anxiety and elation and the roller coaster and the different stages of you know getting nervous about a launch or or wondering if this is the right way to go about publicity or getting worried that no one will read it you know all that is is common and it's really nice to have other people going through it at the same time and sort of to talk you down when you're having a day and it's just a nice supportive space to be in during that delicate time I guess yeah it is a delicate time well I'm really happy to hear you have that support it is a bit like having young children where you have to find those mothers who are at that same level as you because there are particular experiences that only you guys can understand at this moment so really really happy for you that you have found that space and those connections to support you through it Uh, also so happy for you that you have this absolutely beautiful book to go out in the world with Um, what a what a wonderful book for your first book. Congratulations. 
Thank you so much. I hope to see it in lots of different bookshops. I hope to see, I hope it reaches lots of different homes. And it's been so lovely chatting with you today, Cassie. Thank you, Zoni. It's been really nice. Thank you for listening to the Sunshine House podcast. This episode was produced by Virtual Creatrix. Music was written by Gregor Hutchka and produced by Brett Canning. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, a rating and share with your friends. All of those wonderful things are much appreciated and help us find new listeners. If you are a creator yourself and would like to tap into a very supportive community, you can search up the Sunshine House Writers and Creatives on Facebook. We will let you in the door and inspire you, support you, all of those wonderful things. I have a new course available called the Sunshine House Children's Book Course, which is a collection of skills and knowledge to cover all sorts of aspects of the children's book industry. If you're interested in checking that out and doing a course from the comfort of home, have a look at my website, zannylouise.com. It's been wonderful spending this time with you today. Have a lovely, sunshiny day. Thank you to Inez F. Oliveira and the Collective Book Studio for sponsoring today's episode. If you are interested in sponsoring an episode as well, please visit my website, zannylouise.com.